Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. Good morning, tennis fans. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on day three of Wimbledon. And if I sound out of breath, it's because, well, I am out of breath. I've just walked up to the top row of Wimbledon's center court, spending my morning here doing our podcast intro from a tennis cathedral. The sun is shining. We're about three hours shy of the start of day three and have a very special interview for you guys this morning. Don't want to take up too much time on the intro. I just want to get straight to it. We spoke to former world number 25, former doubles champion here at Wimbledon, and former singles quarterfinalist Vashik Pospisil, who made his comeback this week from back surgery, played his first match at Wimbledon on day one, lost in four sets to Felix Oje Aliassime. So very excellent to see Vashik back on court. He'll also be in the doubles draw. And uh, we were able to catch up with him, talk a little bit about his comeback, his tennis, where he thinks he's headed for the remainder of the season. Talked about Canadian tennis, of course, and that aforementioned Felix Oje Aliassime, the rising force on the ATP tour. And we also got into a deep discussion about Vashik's role in the ATP's player council. Of course, that has been in the news front and center here at Wimbledon and throughout this season. So... Uh, we tried to unravel a bit of the mystery of what's been going on with the Player Council and the ATP's leadership and actually what happened in that fabled seven-hour meeting that we heard about last Friday. So lots to unpack, lots to talk about. A very interesting discussion with Canada's Fashion Paspasil. So thrilled to speak with him and hope you guys enjoy the interview. We'll see you on the other side. Okay, Lucky Let Code Podcast is very pleased to have Vashik Pospisil with us today. How are you, Vashik? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, um, so exciting to see you back on court. You made your return today to this, uh, yesterday to the singles court and got to face a very good friend of yours, Felix Oje Aliassim. Talk about that match, what it meant to you to be back, and also a little bit about Felix, of course. You guys had some really friendly banter after the match. <laughs> yeah, we did. No, it was, it was very special. Obviously, I'd been off the tour for eight months. I had back surgery in January and uh, it was a very long road to recovery. So it was um, very special to be back and play my first match at Wimbledon and playing Felix, um, uh, which obviously has a tremendous future and he's just a great person and a great guy. I mean, there's no one I wish more success for than, than Felix. So it was nice to, b- bittersweet for me for, to, to come back and, and uh, actually, um, you know, was having a little bit of issues with with the body, which is not what I what I was hoping for. You know, I wanted to really come back and really enjoy, really enjoy the first match back without pain. But but then just near the end of the match, was having a few issues. But uh, I just wasn't ready to, to face someone of Felix's caliber, perhaps. Yeah, p- perhaps right. Yeah. So what what does that say to you? How do you feel physically? And I know you're going to be in the doubles. You just told me about that mm-hmm. tomorrow. And so where do you go from here in terms of your, your the rest of your season and the rest of your Wimbledon, in fact? Yeah, I mean, there's so many positives from that match. I, I was really hitting the ball well. You know, c- coming back after so many months out from the tour, obviously playing uh, match play is a totally different kind of stress in the body. So it'll take a little bit of time to to really get used to that that stress in, in tournament play. But I did everything that I needed to get ready. And and felt as ready as I could have been. Honestly, I really didn't want to rush things. I, I contemplated playing uh, the tournament the week before, but 
just wanted to give myself another week to play points. And I think now moving forward, it's just starting to get it and play as many matches as I, as I can. You know, the body's feeling great. Um, I'm I'm really confident that I can come back and, and play to the level that that I've been at. And uh, yeah, it's just I'm excited for the summer. Mm, so so wild cards, protected rankings, combo both maybe get your yes. ranking back up that's the goal yeah definitely i mean uh, luck- luckily for me there are a lot of tournaments in canada now coming up the next few months and i'll play a few challengers where i'll you know hopefully get wild cards and, and play some some matches and then the rogers cup wild card as well i hope and then i think from u.s open on i'll really just uh start using all those protected rankings and hopefully by then I'll be sharp and ready to go f- to get some some deep runs at ATP events. And the concerns about the back, would you say they're completely gone that you feel really 100% comfortable or do you still feel like you're in a maintenance phase and you might need to recheck in with the with the, your surgical team or whatnot? Or, you know, what's the process like for that? It sounds like a very tricky injury. Back injury is never fun, right? It is tricky. I mean, I think you're you're never out of the uh, out of the the danger zone, right? The red zone. I think, especially if, if you've if it's gotten to a point where you've had to have surgery. I think um, pretty much, you know, maintaining the the back and and doing injury prevention will just is just a part of will be a part of my career on a daily basis now. You know, it's, I think it's just something that I'll always have to manage and and be careful with and make sure that the body is a priority because obviously I'm getting older and there's a, you know you can get away with being a little bit careless when you're young, um, which is obviously not the right approach because that'll always end up catching up with you and you learn some really hard lessons when your body breaks down and, and you learn to appreciate how important it is to, to take care of your body. And I think I'm at a stage of my career where I can't afford to um, take anything for granted. So I think a lot of my energy, most of it is, is really just focused on uh, the process of keeping my body healthy uh, to be able to have you know some, some good years um, in the sport now because I feel like I am reaching my I am at technically the prime of yeah. my career in terms of uh, my age and so I'm hoping that I can really rebound. Yeah, and we're talking about we're here at Wimbledon and this is a place where you've had some magical moments. Doubles title in 2014, a quarterfinal run in 2015. Is that part of the reason that you wanted to kind of get your career restarted here? Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. I mean, Wimbledon is is uh, my favorite tournament. I mean, it's the most special one. I've had incredible memories here. I mean, I game, you know, I knew that if I could serve really well and, and maybe play a, a player that wasn't too physical, <laughs> which is ironic oh. because I was joking with my team before the tournament saying like, oh, you know, before the draw came out, it'd be great to play somebody that doesn't, that isn't too physical and, and uh, plays shorter points. And then we drew Felix and we were kind of <laughs> laughing because uh, he's obviously a specimen. Someone I mean, he's that's incredible, not 18 and not a freaking incredi- made of stone. Yeah, incredible <laughs> athlete. Honestly, he has, I'm so impressed with, with him and, and um, not only his game, but like I said, just his mentality and who he is as a person. I mean, he's the full package and. So obviously that was always going to be a tough, tough first match back, but, but uh, yeah, Wimbledon is special, and that's I think that's why uh, a large part of the reason why this was my comeback event. Mm, well, I'm tell you what, you Canadian players have this covered mentality, talent, and also the personality. All such a nice bunch of people. <laughs> uh, Dennis is great. Yeah. Bianca is incredible. I mean, they are. Guys, they really are. Milos, yeah. Milos is an incredible, cerebral, interesting person. Um, we've enjoyed them all, but it must be awesome for, say, you and Milos to kind of be the leaders and see what you've done means so much to these younger players and what's happening now, the boom with Canadian tennis. It must give you a lot of satisfaction. 
Oh, definitely. Obviously, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, we, I mean, I'm sure Milos and, uh, and I, in some ways, hopefully inspire the young generation. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about and that's what we want, but, uh, you know, can't take credit for that. You know, at the same time, it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit, Absolutely. but, but this, you know, the, the feder, the tennis federation and Canada, tennis Canada is doing a great job. And, but you know what, that's how it always starts. I mean, whenever you start a boom in, in the, the country in any sport, there has to be there has to be a reason for that boom, right? So I think, I mean, if I would say the pioneer of Canadian tennis in some ways was, you know, Daniel Daniel right. Nestor, and he's winning. He kind of put put tennis on the map in some ways in Canada, at least for me. Uh, yep. um, you know, he was one of the guys I looked up look, looked up to, and and gave perhaps myself and Milos a bit of the confidence that we could succeed on the international stage because at the end of the day, that's that's really important, and you need that. And then. Then it just kind of went to the next level, right? With with Milos and then myself and Jeannie, and obviously I think uh, the interest just kind of grew from there. And now I can't imagine, obviously with Felix and Dennis, and they're just 18, 19, and and uh, the potential they're showing. I mean, the sky's the limit for both of those players. So I think tennis uh, is in a, an amazing spot in our country right now. Now you can get inspired by them. But exactly. hey, hey, interesting segue because we're talking about the future of tennis. I know mm-hmm. that you're heavily involved with the ATP politics right now, and that's on the tip of everybody's yes. tongue. So I wanted <laughs> to give you the platform. I want you to tell me what's your interest in getting into this and what do you want to say to the world? What what do you want to make a difference in? You know, to be completely honest, I, I um, a couple of years ago I was in a – uh, ATP meeting, this, the mandatory player meeting, and I just, you know, I'd heard rumors and players always talking about how bad the system is and how how it's stacked against the players and how um, we're not treated fairly uh, in terms of revenue share and and I mean it's just like a big a big topic and and then the more the more you kind of hear the rumors, the more you pay attention, and then I just kind of really want to dive into the player council um, and, and find out what the, the real, why why we've battled for so many years to get more than 7% of, of the revenue from the Grand Slams, right. which is what it is, right? I mean, it's 14% the U.S. Open for the men and women and 7% uh, specifically for the men, you know, me being on the ATP council. So, um, and then, you know, but being part of it, I just see how many problems there are i mean there are two, there are hundreds of issues it's in it's incredible it's incredible how deep the rabbit hole goes and and the thing is um the problem is that there are a few major issues that then kind of have a trickle effect and they create tons of other issues from there and the the, the main one that i'm battling right now is the fact that the players are being denied legal representation um and so we can't we actually have the governance structure of the atp is such that that the tournaments and the players are uh, have three board representatives each, okay. and then anytime there needs to be a change or that is voted on, it never gets passed through. It's always a stalemate because the tournaments and the players have such different, uh, completely okay. different agendas. So the players can't actually negotiate for anything. It, it's it's an illusion. It's a complete illusion. We actually have no leverage and no power in negotiation whatsoever. And there are two lawyers, the ATP lawyers, that actually represent the tournaments and the players jointly, which is a huge conflict of interest. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if that's. I guess it's legal, but I've never even heard of that in any other sport. And so the problem with that is basically, 
for the players to get anything that they want from the tournaments, the tournaments actually have to agree to it, which doesn't happen in business, okay. right? I mean, it's, it's, um, so that's why a, would they, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I understand it, right? It's, it is, it's, it, tennis is a business and it's, okay. it's a business that's making hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, globally, I mean, if you combine the tournaments then it's billions, I mean, it's, it's incredible how much money the, these, these, uh, these tournaments are making and, and, um, you know, and we just don't feel that 7% is, is a fair 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 revenue share i mean you have guys anybody outside of top 100 is is barely making a living and even if you're 50 to 100 you know you 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 can invest in your in a coach but then anything past that is is like a serious question mark you have to really look at yourself and be like well can i actually bring a physio and, and a, can i actually invest more and have a fitness guy can i actually do this financially like that shouldn't be that should not not be a question when you're a top 100 player in, in, a, in a sport that's making as much money and is as global as tennis. Yeah, I, f- I feel uh, that I want to backtrack a little bit from getting into the players that are lower ranked, which is a topic that we've been mm-hmm. talking about for a long time. It's, it's and incredible. There's been yeah. a little changes. Yeah. You know, you see yeah. the qualifiers making more money at slams and whatnot. But um, but I want to go back to this, how you can't get anything done because the tournaments won't allow it to happen. How is it possible that you can change it? Do you have to tear up the bylaws and rewrite them? Or somehow, but like you're talking about yeah. forming a yeah. union and these sorts of things. So tell me. What are you talking about? Where do you want to go then if you well, that, get in a position where you can make some change? That's what's so hard. And that's why since, you know, 1973, pretty much nothing has been able, like nothing's been done because to make a change in any, any to make a change in the bylaws requires a supermajority vote of the board, of the player boards. I mean, of the, sorry, of the board representatives, so the player side and the tournament side. So that basically means that, that the tournaments will have to willingly give up their leverage in business, which isn't going to happen. That's why we can't actually make a significant change in the bylaws. So the bylaws were written <sighs> when they were written, and they were written in such a smart way uh, for the, I'll put, I'll call them the opposing side in this okay. situation for Fair the enough. tournaments, yeah. that that uh, we're our hands are completely tied. I mean, we can't even. I mean, just just the mention of of having. A union, uh, we just immediately—it's like it's against the law, it's against the bylaws. You guys can't do this, and it's just—it's just the system, the way the way it was created. Unfortunately, um, it was—I mean, the ATP is is much better than what I'd heard it was prior to its creation in 1973, but but it's far from perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's uh, especially in 2019. Uh, I mean, we've had. We've had a Deloitte's report um, on yeah. on the governance structure that came out and said this, this is a complete disaster. They said they've never seen uh, in in I mean all the other sports are their governance structure is fair in some ways or this, this is the worst one they've ever seen. They do, they don't even know how this is possible. Right. So this is what we're this is what we're faced with as players. And I think uh, how do you solve something like that? Well, the, the problem is diplomatically it's very difficult <laughs> because because i mean it's it's like you, you can't it's almost like there has to be some kind of revolution or or okay. or, or 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 an atp president so that's comes what in. you're planning in these seven well i meetings. don't know well the thing is yeah well the thing is i mean and this is and this is the problem the problem is the atp president has has the power to 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 break to break the vote who's so, now chris kermode but who's but. now chris kermode well Yes, for, 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 for the time being. And, but the problem is, for him to get reelected, he needs a supermajority vote. So if he, as soon as he breaks any kind of, 
if he, as soon as he makes a decision, so to summarize that, it means as soon as he makes a decision for either the players or the tournaments, one of the sides is going to be angry with him and he won't get reelected and he'll lose his job. Mm. So what that ends up meaning is there's almost never a breaking vote and it ends 3-3 and nothing ever gets done. So that is what we're facing is the structure is, is, is done in such a way where, you know, we almost need someone, an A3 president to just come in and sacrifice his position for the good of this, the, you know, to do what's right morally, let's say, and try to say, okay, let's let's actually treat this like a democracy and make this fair. Let's make this a partnership, but then he'll lose his job because the tournaments will vote him out. Okay, and that's kind of what we're that's that's the real and issue. It, and so the talk of, I mean, it, there, it seems like you're in a very difficult spot, but yet you still want to make these changes. You still and you're in it. You're interested in it. You're hopeful. You're passionate. And you want to make changes for the younger players. And you know, you pointed out 7% of the U.S. Open revenue, and you're comparing that to 47%, 50% yeah. of the other players in yeah. the other leagues. And like, what the stuff you're talking about is real. Player 101 in, say, the NHL, the NBA, is making millions of dollars, yeah. the 100th best player in the world. And here, they're barely cutting it. Exactly. And and think, and here, 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 I want to make this very clear because my argument is not that. My argument is not that we should be getting paid the same as NFL players or NBA players, or that's not it at all. Because it's a different business, it's a different sport. You know that those sports are probably making a lot more, and they are. But it's the revenue share, which is which is the which is the target. But what I'm looking for is I would like to at least come to the table with the slams being actually represented legally by by you know a corporation or lawyers or something that actually know what they're doing and 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 have them explain why it's this percentage yes. and why you know if they can if they can say hey guys we're really sorry but this is actually the max that we can do because we need you know x and y dollars to do this to grow the sport this 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 or, or whatever it might be but there's no transparency you're not getting that we're, explanation we're not at all. getting that not at all i mean the, the tournaments are doing everything they can to protect that i mean we haven't been able to get the financial numbers from the masters for i mean at all i mean mm -hmm. now, now they now they've they've uh, they've complied they decided to give their numbers in because we, of all this pressure we put in and now we're hearing that the masters are pulling out of it and they're they're disagreeing to the audit so they don't want the audit anymore so they've they're actually willing to pay a $250,000 fine that the ATP could impose which they might not because of you know they know where the power is but they'd rather pay the fine than to actually show us wh what they're making and where they're putting the money. Mm. So that's that's the problem. What I would like is transparency. I would like explanations. And the only way that's going to happen is is clearly something changes or if the players get unified and we, have, we put enough pressure on them. Wow. This is, this yeah. is such so much stuff. And I know that you the, and Novak are in pretty um, see things eye to eye and kind of have mm -hmm. a similar vision and obviously that wasn't the same with all the members of the player council because four resigned after the seven hour meeting that w that i alluded to earlier so um it's great that you and novak have the vision and you guys seem committed to it but um what's the next step well the next step i mean it's 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 very tough right it's very tough i mean i'm i'm i'll just say that i'm i'm very impressed with novak i'm very impressed with novak because um because of what he's achieved and the position that he has in the sport and how he's got, you know, people pulling his arms in all different directions. I can't imagine what a world number one, one of one of the greatest players of all time, how much he has on his plate. But you know what? He's sitting through all these meetings. He's sitting through the seven hours and discussing everything and taking it very seriously. And honestly, that that really says a lot about the guy. I mean, and I know that there have been a lot. I mean, some some players are 
you know, it's very easy to speak. It's very, it's very easy to, to tweet and to, you know, uh, try to stir controversy and by, by uh, making opinions publicly, but it's a whole other thing to actually roll up your sleeves and do the work. And I mean, there are some players that are very few, very few that, 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 uh, are, are, you know, maybe speaking against, against what, what we're doing. And, and, um, you know, and there's reasons for that too. <laughs> I mean, there, there's reasons for that. And, um, so you always have to ask the question, you know, where are they coming from? What's their angle? And, and, um, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tricky situation. Me, uh, honestly, like my, my passion just comes from when I witness, when I see injustice, right. I just get really passionate about it. I get really passionate about it. I get passionate by, uh, the fact that, you know, my family sacrificed so much for, you know, me to get to where I am. They came to Canada with no money. I mean, we trained on cracked high school courts. My dad coached me until I was 20. And then, you know, I get here and then I see all the players have similar stories. And then, and I, and then the general consensus of all the players. And when I'm finding out how we're getting mistreated, it's extremely, um, I'm very passionate and it's, and it really, kind of gets me going and I, and I, that's why I'm willing to just stand up and and fight for what I believe in. I mean, that's just who I am as a person. Now, yeah, I talked to Marcus Giron yesterday after mm-hmm. his uh, first round match and he is uh, I don't know if you know his story, NCAA champ, great young player. Um, couple hip surgeries that kept him out of the tour for maybe a few years and he recently had a little breakthrough at Indian Wells went to the round of 16 played Milos Raonic nearly got to a quarterfinal there and now is up around 140 in the world talked about how he had to basically cover the expenses of his hip surgeries talked about the difficulties of that of how he had to find like the right physicians and the therapy and it was very expensive he talks about how it's on his mind like uh, he'll be playing in the final round of a qualifier you know serving at four five thirty all and thinking this is twenty thousand dollars right here i gotta i gotta get this done and it's like it just sounds so stressful and again this is one of the best players in the world and Mm -hmm. and and this is what you were talking about earlier before we kind of switched subjects so can you talk about some of the difficulties players like yourself is probably having right now ranked Mm -hmm. out of the ranking surgeries to pay for out of your own pocket these types of things yeah i mean that's just another one that's just another example of of uh of some of the difficulties that, that, that you face in this sport, if you're not, you know, at the, in the top 50 or really in the top of the game. And, and again, it comes down to obviously an individual, an individual sport, you know, contract, we work as contractors, I guess, uh, technically, even though that can be argued, I would say in, in uh, legally, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's, it's, uh, it comes with differences from other sports. Obviously, if you're in a team sport, you know, you'll be very well looked after. So I can appreciate the fact that this isn't a team sport and we don't have a, an organization behind us the way. So, so I understand that. But, but um, what I don't accept is, is the fact that, um, that we're getting 14% or 7% of the revenue, I should say, because the guys that are making, that are going to the, to the, even the qualifying events. If you're playing this tournament, you need to be compensated fairly. You cannot, you know, in the case of Marcos, he's worked his whole life to become one of the best players in the world. And you should not be, I mean, the average age in the top 100 uh, of when they started playing tennis is five and a half years, right? So five and a half years of age. I mean, I homeschooled from the age of 10 to dedicate my life to tennis, to create a product that the that the Grand Slams are taking, um, 
93 yeah, percent of right. well okay 86 percent of because men and women are, are combined so so it's it's 86 percent of the profit i mean this there's they don't appreciate the fact that we are running our own business and that our business is actually you know it's it's to, it's to create business for them so it's it's just it's not a fair split and and, and the thing is like if if this was evenly distributed obviously even even um even the prize money um, formula, let's say the way it's distributed among the rounds, there should be much more in qualifying in early rounds. I mean, that's for sure. It's too top heavy in general. But uh, I think if we could solve the percentage of revenue, then guys like Marcos, you know, when they make the Grand Slams, shouldn't have to be concerned about, you know, serving out a match so he can pay for his hip hip surgeries. You know, I yeah. mean, this is it's insane. Mm. In a perfect world, if you got what you wanted, say you had the representation or like say, say you eventually became a union and you got to march and knock on the door and sit at the table, what ideally would happen first? You'd be able to look at the revenues and then Fairness. You, don't, you can't yes. give a number right now what mm-hmm. percentage you want, as you said. So no, you just that, want to look at it because and that wouldn't be, be fair. Negotiate. That wouldn't be fair. I mean, you can't go in. What I want is fairness. I want I want to be able to. So right now, what, in, I mean, in any any negotiation, there needs to be a balance of power and level and leverage for it to even be considered a negotiation. Right. So, I mean, at that point, you can everybody can come to the table and make their arguments to why they feel like they should get a certain amount or give a certain amount. And and then you come to a compromise where both sides feel like, OK, this is this was not what we wanted because everybody always wants more. But, you know, we can live with this. And that is what that is the only time you can call anything even a negotiation. And uh, that's what we need to get to. We need to get to that stage. We're not coming in with a hard number. I mean, yeah. Am I going to go and say, hey, like we should get 90 percent of the revenue? Like, obviously not. Right. Like that's <laughs> so. So uh, what I want is fairness. And I think that just comes from transparency and it comes from from having power on both sides and and then coming to an agreement on what's fair and reasonable, because obviously we don't want the tournaments to suffer. No. You know, I mean, and they're, and of course, by no means are they suffering, but I mean, we don't want to go and take, like I said, so much that they can't be profitable or grow the sport. That's, that's be counterproductive and extremely selfish. Right. But, um, it's, yeah. So it's, it's really like, let's get to the stage where we can actually have constructive, mm-hmm. uh, conversations. Yeah. And circling back to the player meeting, the four, the four players mm-hmm. dropping from the player council, where do we go from here about filling up those four spots? And then, well, it's wh- three, it's three. There was three player, three player council members and, uh, the coach that's a non-voting, right? Danny, yes. Danny yeah. was a non-voting. Yes. Okay. Yes. So th- there's elections held to, I, I, I'm not, you maybe take me up to speed on what happens about filling those. Spots right. Up. So actually there, I think I think we had um, recently uh, a similar situation and that was just the replacement was just a majority vote by the remaining player council members. So I believe the procedure is the same. I think it's I think it's uh, basically we we just try to find replacements. And if any players come up and I've already had a few that are interested in the position. So then we just discuss it among the remaining council members. And I believe it's just a majority a majority vote uh, of the remainder of the remaining uh, council members to elect the the guys that come in. So for the remaining term, I mean, I think we still have one year left and then next year at Wimbledon, um, there'll be a whole new election process okay. for, for who the next council members will be. But, but I think in the meantime, it's just a majority, um, majority vote for mm-hmm. f- among the, the remaining council. And members. then Weller Evans in, in this, on the board for the, the, the end of the year that was a curious one for mm-hmm. for a lot of people it, for me it's a huge mystery 
I don't know how it worked, but somehow, somehow he was fairly elected, would you say? To, yeah, to get well, that? well, this is basically what happened was, was um, so there was a disagreement. I mean, just to be fully transparent, there was a, there, we had two very good candidates, uh, two very different candidates. Weller Evans and Nicholas Weller Evans and Nicholas Clemente, absolutely. Two very different candidates with very different approaches. Um, one was ex- is extremely, you know, Weller Evans was extremely uh, experienced. He was on the player side for 20 years in the ATP, so he... Uh, he knows the ins and outs of the ATP, and and uh, had a, and he was more viewed more as a a tougher candidate. And then we had another one who's extremely okay. nice guy, um, very good with with player relations. I would say would be more involved with speaking to players, and um, and very good guy. Honestly, like very trustworthy. So we had two really good candidates, but two very different candidates. So that that's where the difference of opinion. Uh, I think came from um, is just how you look at things and how you view the job of, of the board representative. And me, I mean, my 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 view is has been consistent from day one. I mean, I went on the council. I told all the players that voted voted for me. I said my number one priority is going to be to fight for 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 the prize money and fight for for a fair share of revenue. And and I won't ever deviate from that from that. So I I went with a candidate that I felt was tougher in negotiation, and because I, I just disagreed with some of the 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 points of the other candidates. So mm-hmm. for me that was that was always clear. Like I I'm I'm never gonna go away from from that. So what I knew, what happened was in the council we we just had we we had a disagreement. We couldn't come to to consensus. No problem. I mean that's that happens. Um, so we said okay we're gonna bring in new candidates for for in November to, to because the term starts in January. So in November we're going to bring new candidates and we're going to find somebody that we agree with, which is fine, right? That's and so in the meantime what that means is and we all agreed to that, it was all great, no problem. Then in the meantime what happens is our current board representatives, there the two of them, mm-hmm. Alex Ingall, David Eggis, they they uh choose whoever they want to be the temporary the interim for the next few months until that that process okay. begins. And they came to a decision they and came so, to so they, they can choose whoever they want so they i mean they could choose me they could choose you it could uh, literally any person that represents the americas okay and they they made the case for weller evans because of his experience and because of because right now obviously there's we have we're in some very important times and big decisions of prize money formulas and 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 they they thought that Weller was just more more equipped and 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 very had a very in depth knowledge to tackle these issues right away, so that obviously didn't go too well with some of the players that were maybe against. I don't know if that's the reason why some of them left. I'm just honestly just jumping to conclusions because, um, but I mean I know I spoke to one of them and he said, hey listen I've been doing this for seven years and I'm just exhausted. Like right. I'm exhausted. Like we can't do anything can't it's get anything done it is so frustrating i mean i've been there for a year now and it's so frustrating because like i said for from the at the beginning of this interview it's it's like <laughs> it's it's you can't make a change like you're fighting and there's the it's just stacked against you you have to beat the system so it's almost a waste of energy so maybe you know that was one of the reasons and and um but yeah so uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Other than than uh, than that, yeah, that was okay. kind of what, what happened all that that day. All right, I got one more question for yeah. you. It's maybe a two-part question, but I'm curious to know. There's so much controversy around what happened with Justin Gimelstab, and mm-hmm. of, of course, a lot of it is well documented with in the court case. But I get the feeling that he was the 
somehow the guy that was really pushing in this in the right direction for you guys and that there's a lot of people that feel that way about Justin and I wanted to know if that's the case if that's what you believe and then also my second part of this question is do you feel that Novak uh, he's he's considered to be a little bit of tone deaf supporting Justin yesterday just saying that he's friendly with him that he's spoken mm-hmm. with him so there's a lot of polarization on this topic what, what would you be your comments on that I mean my, my comments are my comments are that that um, I mean Justin generally even now with with the the player council that we have and, and the players in general he's he's respected for the work that he did for the council I mean he he was he was he's very smart and he was really um, a tough negotiator for us and and obviously in this system which i explained is is stacked against us you kind of need guys like that and he did an amazing job for the work that he was doing professionally obviously you know the personal thing is is you know it's quite a it's, conflict of course right of course i mean that was just really unfortunate for him and for for tennis and and i really hope that that uh you know i'm, I'm sure he's going through a very tough time so I, i'm 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 uh, I'm sure he'll he'll rebound from that, but but just speaking specifically on on the work that he did as a player board representative, um, he was just very well respected among the players because of his passion that he brought, and obviously it didn't come without controversy, right? But but that just I think that just speaks for speaks for um, the system, mm-hmm. the fact that you know we I mean we need we the fact that we need guys that are that are going to fight for the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, we'll never get anything done. And even, even, even with guys that fight like crazy for the players and, and um, even with guys like that around, it's, it's really hard to get anything done. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to the people who are maybe criticizing Novak for being tone deaf just for talking with Justin? I guess he was in London or whatever. I read a little bit about that. Well, I would say I would say why 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 criticize? I mean, what, it's like he he based on what I just what I just said. It's like okay, well, this is a guy. I mean, you could look at you could look at just. There's different ways to look at this. The, I mean, if you look at professionally what he did for the players, I mean, that's that's you can't deny that, right? You can't deny that that the work that he did was was good for the players. So, there's. I mean, I don't know specifically what what Novak what Novak said, but so I don't want to want to jump to conclusions. I did. What sure, did he say sure. specifically? He just said. He just said that he had spoken to him and that they're friendly. And, and oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, to he be, didn't say anything know. about a future yeah. candidacy. Yeah, or, no, no, I, I don't know. Honestly, I would, I would have to. It would be maybe a question for Novak, but, but like I said, I mean, uh, I mean, I just know that 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 uh, Justin, you know, did a good job when he was a board representative, and maybe Novak, you know, obviously. Um, viewed that the same way perhaps. yeah i guess it you know, makes it makes a complicated situation complicated. for you guys Absolutely. even more complicated it's very it sounds like you had the negotiator yeah. you maybe wanted or needed it, yeah yeah it's very no it's very tough like it, it's really and you know the other thing is it's really easy for like it's really easy for guy for people to to jump to conclusions and make you know make their opinions but when they're f- from the outside but there's so many i mean you can't really know until unless you're actually like in it yeah you know i mean even myself i mean i'm in it and i'm right in the middle of it all but but i i'm very aware that i probably don't know you know 95 percent of what's really happening behind the scenes i mean this like i i I have my my opinions based on the information that i've that i've been given and i try to do the best and get as much information from other side and as i can i mean really because that's the only way you can make an educated decision is to get as many different angles and opinions and 
not only opinions, but facts. It's about facts, right? You want to get facts from from all the, all the sides, and then you make your opinion. And so, obviously, um, yeah. I mean, I I would be a fool to say that I that I'm fully educated on on you know the happenings of the tour. Yeah. Wow. This is so much. And and lastly, would the 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 it sounds like the union makes complete sense here it's it's just not a possibility it's in the conversation it's yeah well well it's it's um i think it just comes down i'm i'm not even sure i feel like this is this is the thing it's we we're told that we can't actually have a union legally that we would get okay. sued and like but this is this is exactly the, the the problem it's the scare tactics that you know whether it's true or not obviously this is something that 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 perhaps we we need to look into or maybe we already are <laughs> but uh okay. but the thing is I don't know, but but the thing is that um, there's no doubt that there's a whole there's a whole movement um, that in some ways is already initiated and that can be initiated to a much larger larger extent by the the tournaments and the power to kind of suppress and scare and um, you know manipulate the system even more than they already are. So I think it just depends on how threatened they feel and they can take anything to the next level. Wow. So, um, wow. Thanks, Vashik. Yeah. This has really been interesting. Um, any parting shots before I let you go? No, just, yeah. Th- no, honestly, just thanks a lot for having me. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed this and thanks for, for listening, everybody. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Cool. And, um, Thank you. Best yeah. luck in doubles and we'll, we'll, we'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to come on anytime. Thanks a lot. Thanks. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Vashik Pospisil for joining us. That was a very informative interview. Hope you guys got some of what you wanted to know about the ATP's politics. And uh, got to hear from Vashik Pospisil. Wish him all the best in his comeback. Hope he has a strong finish to the 2019 season. We'll look for him on the hard courts after Wimbledon, where we should be certainly seeing him at Rogers Cup and a lot of other events. So... Thanks to Vashik Pospisil. Thanks to you all for listening. want to let you guys know you can follow the Lucky Let Cord Podcast. Just open up your Apple Podcast app, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila, you will find us. Love it if you rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts at. You can find Tennis Now on the web at www.tennisnow.com. You can jump over and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tennisnow. On Twitter, at tennis underscore now. Hit us on Instagram. See me around the grounds. Love to chat anytime. Thanks for listening, and enjoy day three of Wimbledon. <laughs>